0: welcome tethered nation this is your number one saddle hunting resource Mm, saddle hunt you must kill big buck you will all
1: right we're here live at ata 2020 and we have special guest mark kenyon with us in the room booth This is a huge room. It's a big room. You guys are a big deal now. You've got a whole auditorium Yeah, they gave us a special room. It's exciting. (laughs) So uh, we'll start with Mark. Just kind of introduce yourself for people that may not know you, and then we'll just kind of move around the room clockwise. Everybody... Tell you who they are, and then we'll just jump straight into it.
2: We needed a big room to house Carl's head. What? <laughs> Come on!
1: Already, we are 37 <laughs> seconds here into it, here and comes. already <laughs> yep. hit him with a good one. Yeah, nicely done. Yep. The train's taken huh? off. Two, two, two guns <laughs> fire in there.
3: To, to be fair. To be fair. He deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> Have to you seen fat. the Phantom?
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, Mark, if you would maybe do a quick intro, who you are, what you yeah. do for a living, and then we'll just move around the table
4: yeah mark kenyon uh the wire hunt podcast meat eater i wrote a book and i hunt
0: awesome that i'm trying to be super succinct it's pretty good today (laughs) it's pretty good (laughs) there you go (laughs) super cliff notes yeah all right and uh andy mays here uh don't really (laughs) have a title are you uh, here i'm known i guess from uh, a couple of mark's podcasts but basically just a bow hunter
2: Bull Hunter is like
1: extraordinary. In the light. Yeah, yeah. bowhunter like extraordinary. Extreme
2: killer is a lot yeah. Of that's
1: it. like Michael Jordan say. I pay pickup games every now and again. You know? Yeah,
5: yeah. I play basketball yeah. as well. Yeah, he's he was disappointed. You know, he only hit a thousand inches of antler this year. You know, <laughs> no just, big deal. Whatever.
3: I bet your taxidermist loves you. <laughs> <laughs> like he, <We're> <laughs> yeah, like good, you're probably one of the first guys that gets a Christmas card from your taxidermist. He's like, okay, Andy, and then my parents and. <laughs> Yeah. The
4: problem with Andy, though, is he has.
0: I don't know where you put all these things. I no, know you, you spread them out. You just give them to people. They're spread out. Cabellas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're spread out a little bit. But I've, I've gone a lot to the European mounts. I like those a lot, too. Yeah. They don't take up as much space. but.
1: Yeah, I was surprised when I, I asked you on somewhere text or whatever, you're going to mount that buck. And you're like, nah, I'll do a Euro mount. I'm going.
2: Whoa. it's bigger than anything i've ever Whoa. killed it's like I, you know i'll just throw it in the pile yeah i would too yeah you know,
1: I'd, I'd probably use them as rattling horns but if if you want to do a euro that's cool bro you know
4: it is cool though so often when you see a really big impressive buck they're all, always our shoulder mounted yeah. but andy comes over to my house one day with a euro mount of like a 150 class <laughs> mega mainframe eight with stickers and junk or whatever and that's an impressive deer to just hold and look at as a euro. Mm-hmm. I mean that. I get it. That's why I that's like them. It is cool. cool. I like them. It's a different
0: experience. They save me some money. Yeah. And I, I look at it as like that's gas to the next state or a tag mm-hmm. for this state. But always strategic. It's cool when people come over. I can hand it to them. People like to handle antlers. Yeah. My, the heads on the wall, they can't. You know, I need mean, run out of room. You know, what I what get I mean? that. So I like. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I have, have that problem the too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah.
3: Uh, I'm Taylor Chamberlain. Uh, I live outside of Washington, D.C., and I I spend a little bit of time in the saddle every year, uh, (laughs) anywhere between like 175 and 225 days or so. So my wife definitely enjoys having me out of the house, which is good. And uh, yeah, stoked to be here
2: we were your home at least enough to have a new kid coming. So Yeah.
4: Well, well, somebody was. <laughs> I don't know Taylor that well, but it probably doesn't take
1: that
3: long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a surprise, right? The most awkward 12 seconds for her. <laughs> then the crying starts. And the stuff. most awkward 12 seconds. Oh, dear God. This is
1: PG-rated podcast yes. there, Taylor. We're still on the PG zone. Yeah, I guess
4: that's PG. Yeah. 13. 13. Yeah. PG-13. Yeah. You know, like, you've, you've watched Toy Story or some of these Disney movies in adult. You realize there are all these jokes that go over the kids' heads. Yes. So that's what we're doing now. If the kids are listening, they don't really know what's going on. Yeah. That's well, fair. Now so they do. Like Disney Way to go,
3: Mark. Well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now they're going to Google it. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're Tw- super tense. 12, 12, 12 seconds of no, happiness. Don't Google 12 seconds. Do not <laughs> bliss. Bliss. Yeah, that will yeah. <laughs> it'll be even worse yeah. than what you're listening to. Yes,
3: for sure.
2: Good start uh, to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ernie Power, you know, you know me from Tethered and a couple other places, so I'm, you know, You've seen all my mistakes
1: and mess ups, but we're what here. other
3: places? <laughs> huh? we, this is a PG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear lord. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm Greg Greg Godfrey, one of the co-founders of Tethered, and uh, yeah, uh, I've been on the podcast a few times. Yeah, I'm Carl
5: Kasuth. I'm uh, with Tethered. I'm the designer, one of the chief designers for Tethered, uh, other than Ernest. One
1: of the chief designers. Ernest
5: is the chief <laughs> designer. He no, works, you're works, the chief designer. He works with metal. Okay. So I'm, right. I'm, the, I'm I'm Mr. Soft Goods. So, okay you know but <laughs> soft
1: and soft is appropriate <laughs> that's my new. <laughs> wow. yeah that's that's that was not good. and uh um, i'm sure everybody
5: kind of knows at this point in the game but uh i don't kill deer i haul them yeah yeah for other we, people who do kill
1: for this for the full story of that we we're in missouri and we had what one two three four like five bucks not, went down a, a, yeah a boatload of bucks. And I
5: hauled three of them out.
1: Greg's was the biggest. No big deal. No big deal. We don't need to bring that up. It's no, not I don't it. think we need to talk but about it. But Carl did haul out all of them on his beefed-up Rambo bike, and it was awesome.
3: He yeah. also hauled
1: you. He did haul me. Yeah.
3: Away. He hauled Greg, which is one of the funniest pictures I've ever seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. We had to keep that a little careful because we were testing the fan. Yeah. We now, can make that public now, yes though, can't we? Can, can we? You yes, we, you can. Bet we can. Yeah, we can make yeah. that public. Out. How
4: did that work? Awesome. I like, broke he piggyback riding. <laughs> well, he's, he's Greg, so you can, he's, you can put him in your pocket. You know, but he
5: was uh, he was actually he actually looks like a, a some Roman dude on a chariot. The way the Rambo cart is built, he looks built. like Charlton
3: Heston. <laughs> in, he's forward facing Hart.
5: on it, and he's got his bow mush Carl, sitting mush. like this. He's up oh on his man. knees, and we're just flying down this service road and going down the public. Yeah, That's we left amazing. the we left good.
1: the parking lot, and we go a hundred yards down the hill. Boom! I snapped the derailleur in the frame of the bike, back of the bike, because of, mm-hmm. a uh, a strap fell oh. down and got tangled in the derailleur. No, it didn't
5: fall down. It was already down there. So Greg decides he's going to put um, saddlebags on this on his bike, Ernie. right?
1: Ernie that was Ernie
5: oh you're passing it off to Ernie er, it
1: was Ernie's bike Wait, I broke Ernie's yeah, bike it was,
5: wasn't that the one of the brand new ones yes yeah, we it was had Ernie's <laughs> brand new <laughs> yeah, bike yeah it was like the sticker was still partially on it
2: <laughs> yeah it brand new Rambos we had just picked them up yeah. I literally picked them up on the way to Missouri and within I don't know 15 seconds of Greg getting <laughs> on it it was yeah. broken I barely broke so yeah, yeah. did
4: speak more to Greg or to the bike
2: uh, it was all Greg. Okay.
4: It yeah. was
1: it was Ernie's crappy install of the saddlebags. That's there were, what it was. It was like an
5: octopus riding on the back of that bike. Man, Not there were straps hanging everywhere. <laughs> and he sucked that strap into that derailleur and that cassette, and it was like oh. a bomb went off. He turned that derailleur into a pretzel. One thing about Greg, he pulled it straight up Ernie there, because when Ernie breaks something, he goes all the way. He doesn't halfway break something. If he's going to break it, he just does it right and breaks mm-hmm. it completely. Something's Greg, I get it. Greg props on that. Yeah, he well, he did a good blew job. it in, up.
3: In true tethered fashion, we don't do anything halfway. No. If you're going to break it, you may as well break it. You may as well break it to the point where you got to send it back mm-hmm. to the factory. Yes. Yeah. Like, hey, something something happened here. But
5: also in true tethered fashion, we recovered instantly. I said, there's a tree. Chain it up to that. Jump on my trailer. We're out. We did. And we did. Yeah. We're gone.
1: Yeah. And it was actually mega comfortable. Shout out to Rambo Trailer because I laid down in that thing on the – on the ride home, and it was like a recliner house. <laughs> I, I even asked Carl, I was "Like, man, can you take me tomorrow? Can we do this say, again?" This is the norm now. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it, I, does it have suspension on there? I, that one doesn't. Yeah, it it was like awesome.
5: But it's got that tarpaulin material on it, so yeah. it helps. You know, it was really great. You a nice off ride. So it was yeah. great. Um, yeah, but those those bikes were lifesavers because uh, well, Garrett's deer. His was the farthest back. It was right at three miles. And it was all uphill all the, on the way out, you know, and it was that was night. it was snow and it was 10 degrees yeah. or whatever. And we just jammed out. of That there. was an awesome hunt.
1: Yeah. I the, can't wait to do it again.
2: The the bike saved Some, that trip. It was yeah. great. I mean, I dragged my deer out just with a rope tied to the luggage. Rack. Yeah, that's funny. Like, you know, like a <laughs> guy would drag it with a four wheeler. I dragged this deer out. Once again, the bike.
5: Ernie style. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap that sucker around that seat post and gas it. <laughs> just Drug that thing right out
1: that's funny uh so now we know who all is sitting around the little table at ata uh so we can jump straight into it i kind of want to go a little bit of a different direction normally we just talk about saddle stuff but since mark was so gracious to join us and give us some of his time uh i kind of want to ask some selfish questions and i want to hear some stuff that um, you have talked about at length on your podcast in previous episodes about you personally. Okay. But I want to hear more about kind of your story because you've got a lot of fans in this world that would like to hear about that. And I want to hear about that as a, as a guy, me and uh, Ernie who have jumped into this kind of with both feet in the last Eighteen months, yeah. we have a lot to learn. we're kind of building this thing on the fly, and so I want to take this time to selfishly ask you questions. Sure. and since it's our podcast, we get to do you, what we want. <laughs> I'm just <still> along <laughs> for the ride. <laughs> so first of all, talk about talk about quitting your job at Google and what that experience was like, and then going straight into Wiredon. yeah,
4: I mean it was it was terrifying, yeah, but it was also unbelievably exciting I mean it was a situation where and can um, I
1: interrupt you just real yeah. quick I'm sorry so maybe maybe talk about what you did at Google mm-hmm. maybe what that ex- what that was so people know cuz maybe not everyone's heard this story yeah, yeah.
4: so basically what happened is uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna rewind just a little bit further okay thank you and uh, went to school for business thought I want to be you know whatever business marketing exec something like that so got an internship in New York City And I worked for a big ad agency, and while I was out there, I was, I I felt like claustrophobic. I couldn't get outside doing the things I wanted to do. It was noisy, it was smelly, it was just not what I wanted my life to be like. So I told myself, I need to find a way to work, you know, with what I love, which is hunting, the outdoors, all those things. So my job for this ad agency was um, essentially connecting with bloggers and connecting our clients with bloggers this is way back in like 2007 or 8 um so it was like very early in that kind of thing Mm -hmm. god that's crazy that was (laughs) a long time ago (laughs) 2020 now over 10 years yeah, yeah well over that so anyways um i got this idea that if these people could make these things called blogs about Reebok shoes or about pogs or whatever shit it was pogs. Um. <laughs> pogs. Great example. Right? Dude, that's a good one pog. <laughs> the pog blog was yeah. there pog blogs i don't know that I'm i don't sure know why that came were. to my mind god but i hope there were Pog I, blogs. i hope there okay, were too yeah. but yeah i thought you know i could do it on these maybe i could start a blog and i could kind of scratch my deer hunting itch. so i mm. i started a blog called wired to hunt and all that summer i worked on that thing and i really didn't know what i was doing but i just kind of learned And it was fun. It was a way to kind of be a part of the hunting stuff I loved, but while I'm in downtown Manhattan every day. So I did that, and I told myself when I got back to school for my senior year of college, you're going to find a way to work in the outdoor industry. That's what you have to do. And then I saw a job posting for Google. And somehow I said, well, you're going to find a way to work in the outdoor industry, or if somehow you can get a job at Google, then then you have to do that. And um, long story short, I got a job at Google working in... um, basically online marketing. We worked with a whole bunch of different uh, retailers and I was helping them develop their online marketing strategies using our platforms. So I started working full-time there out of college and I got shipped out to our headquarters, which is just outside of San Francisco and the same thing happened again. I found myself stuck in a big city outside of or far from any of the things I loved, unable to get out and do the things I love and I, I the same feelings came rushing back, and I realized, wow, you you, you did the one thing you told, told yourself you weren't going to do, and that's a big mistake. I needed to find, again, some way to connect my passion with what I did every day all day. So I went to Barnes & Noble one night, and <clears throat> I'm a big reader, so I think I was like lonely and slightly depressed in San Francisco by myself. And I'm at Barnes & Noble, and I'm looking at books, and I see this book on the shelf. It's called Crush It. By a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary V. Old Gary V. So I pick up the book, and I don't know, I was enticed by the, I think the the subtitle was Cashing on Your Passion or something like that. And uh, I read it from cover to cover that night. And I said that night, I'm like, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking this thing I started over the summer, Wired Hunt, and I'm going to build that thing into a way that I can connect my passion with what I what I do for the rest of my life. And I started just... Just figure, I mean, I just spent every night, every morning, whenever I wasn't working in the day job, I was learning about digital media. I was learning about writing. I was learning about social media. I was learning about all these different things. And and literally every single day, I would just work all day, work all night, work all day, work all night, uh, trying to build Wired Hunt into a thing. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but little by little I started to. And, you know, did that for four years, um, working the full-time day job. And then working on Wired to Hunt and eventually was able to start writing for magazines and started meeting people in the industry and started developing a network and more and more opportunities came around. Yep. And after a couple of years, started making a little bit of money and a few more years was making, you know, money that made me think, well, maybe I could do actually do this. And then eventually at the, at the four year mark took the leap, took the leap, took the leap. And so I think your original question, I guess, which I'm only now getting to was what did that feel like? And um, like I said, terrifying. But it was it was the most. It was one of the most intense cocktails of emotion that I've ever had because I remember walking out on the last day of the job, and everybody was very very supportive there. One of the one of the best things about that group of people I worked with was that uh, you know they were just so proud of me and excited that I was chasing my own dream, even though that meant. <laughs> kind of leaving them hanging a little bit. I mean, I, I did everything I could possible to, to leave in a good way, um, but this is it sounds super cheesy, but my whole floor of the office gave me a standing ovation when I walked out of the office, which is like a wild thing. That's super um, cool. Yeah, it was really cool.
1: How rare was it at Google to be the guy that loved to hunt and fish and eat what you killed, oh. and et cetera?
4: I was the only one, <coughs> at least that I had ever met there. Yeah. And, and I worked both at our headquarters in Mountain View, California, and then at our office in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was the only person like that I ever met um so I was kind of looked at as a novelty, but it was this is a whole other topic, but they um folks were always surprised by what I did, but genuinely curious mm-hmm. and open to it so once once they found out my sh- my thing like so tell me you do what, why, how, and very often they were pleasantly surprised to find out that. Oh, this is carefully managed. You you know, you care about the animal and the wildlife and the the environment and how all this happens. Um so it was actually uh many, many great conversation opportunities came out of it. So great experience with that. Um but back to walking out on the last day, standing ovation, that was overwhelming. And then I get in the car and then it was like I don't know, it was this weird day around people the whole time. And then I get into the car by myself and I get on the highway. And it was this whole other rush of, holy shit. (laughs) You're right. There's no check coming next week. It's all on me. It's all on me. You've You've turned the corner. There's no insurance. (laughs) There's no anything. Like, you really need to be able to do this. And I broke down bawling, driving on the highway, complete sobbing with both holy, like, wow. And, like, this is a dream that actually came true. Yep. To I mean, just every possible emotion, joy, fear, surprise, all 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 at the same 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 time. time.
1: Yeah, Um, I remember you talking about that on a podcast you did. It was a while ago, but when you kind of detailed this story a little bit, and I remember that specific point where you talked about crying in the car, and, yeah, it it hit home for me because at the time when I heard that, we were kind of in that – we were close to that spot. So we weren't there yet, but we were close.
4: Yeah, it was, it was definitely one of the most emotional moments of my life. Um, and I, when it came to that decision, and feel free to cut me off if you want to pivot somewhere else, but I remember um, you know debating, can I do this, should I do this, how will we do this, is this possible? And I remember having conversations with my wife about it and, and leaving what was a very, you know, it was a great job. It was a terrific opportunity, what I was doing at Google, and, and very safe, and it's a hard thing to walk away from. Everybody there talked about the golden handcuffs. Because you work for Google it's really hard to leave it because there's all these perks there's all these good things Um, so you had a lot of very ambitious people um, and then a lot of them were in the same boat where you want to do something bigger or something different um, so there's the Google golden handcuffs were a thing but I decided that this is a risk it might not work but I simply decided that I'm going to make something work if plan A doesn't work then plan B will and if plan B doesn't work then plan C will I'll I'll work at Gander Mountain and wash cars until I can make the next thing work. I just decided that somehow I'd, I'd find a way with it, um, and I was just really fortunate that things worked out. And I'm able to be here now,
1: seven years later, I guess. And I'm I'm living the dream I had. Well, here's why I wanted to talk about this because you can get on a lot of podcasts. Or listen to a lot of podcasts and learn about strategies and tactics and gear and all the things deer hunting. But I think sometimes what's missed is most people, 99 out of a hundred people listening to those podcasts would love to figure out a way to make their passion, their paycheck. And you did it. And you're one of the examples that I look up to in the industry that you just said, man, I'm just going to do it. And so I like to talk about you know, give that information to the listener that, Hey, you know, you know, we can talk about tactics and stuff too, but you can reach your, you can achieve your goals. You can achieve your passion. that's why I wanted to selfishly ask these questions yeah. for, of you. Well, Ernie, I mean, you had a similar experience when you quit your job. Oh, well, that's,
2: that's still real fresh. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was December. Um, But I wanted to kind of just yeah, cycle back December, just a yeah. little bit. Um, If you listen to that story, it didn't happen overnight. Four years of busting your balls to get to the point that you're like, I think I can make it. I yeah. mean, you didn't even know at that point. And, you know, there's there's no easy button to it, no. you know. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to put in the steps. And it took years to get there. And And I think that's really commendable. And, and very- I think it's, it's it's an
4: important point because a lot of people do want the secret silver bullet that's just going to like – What's the what's the secret to getting this? And then I want to be able to do it next year. And and sure, sometimes you'll luck into something that makes it happen really fast. Yeah, you can hit the lottery. Sure, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't count on it. Right. And I would I would count on just a lot of hard work. You if know, the, you, if you love it though, it's it's worth
3: it. It's, it's hard work, it. but yeah, it, there's no substitute for effort and hard work. And also, you know, it was it was somewhat methodical mm-hmm. and calculated. Yeah. Right. It's not a like hey. Today's Wednesday, like, F it. I'm doing this, you know, uh, out of the blue. It, yes. it, it, it definitely, you know, had hard work leading up to it and and strategy, just sure. like a good whitetail hunt. Yeah. 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 It's an it,
0: inspiring story. I, I love that story. I, I love I, it. I tell, I tell so many people that story. And then to see you guys do it, too, it's just been really,
2: well, really cool. I was in those shoes a year ago. Uh, tethered had a rocky start. You know, we had some manufacturing problems. We had some delivery problems. We had things going on. Um, and uh, last year in December, you know, I was sitting there with my wife, and we're we're drinking some wine and talking, and it's like, you know, the amount of work that Tethered is starting to require is more than I can put in part-time. Greg's handcuffed to the Army. He can't get out, right? So that leaves me. And it's it's somebody has to quit their job and become full-time. How many times did we talk about that? Oh, <laughs> Or yeah. tethered's gonna fail. I don't know if tethered's gonna work, but I know it's gonna fail if somebody doesn't jump. And the next day, I went and put my notice in. It was the scariest thing. I was in tears at work. You're yeah. still yeah. emotional about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big deal. It was big a big deal. deal. Yeah. It's a big
5: deal. And the thing is, we all faced our own version of that. Yep. Yep. You know, Greg did. I mean, he was a ten-year Army guy. I quit my job the year officer. before I could get out. Yeah. It's tough. Yep. I'm all getting all. Oh, it's, but, <laughs> yeah.
2: but on the same note, as soon as I made that decision, life got better mm-hmm. now.
5: Yeah. I mean, I'd been a cop for 10 years yep, and the last, a good portion of it as a detective. And, you know, it was just like sink or swim. I'm, yeah. I'm going, you know, it, it was because I saw what you, what you had done and we were all making that sacrifice, you know, it's yep. into the unknown, but that's how great things start. You when, know, is, is making that jump.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Mark talked about the golden handcuffs. I had a great job. I had been there 15 years. I was comfortable. I knew how to do my job. I knew how to get things going. I had a good paycheck. Um, but it just wasn't my passion. You know, right. it's, it's, I, didn't, I didn't sit there on Friday and be like, man, I can't wait for Monday to come here so I can go to work. It, it just yeah. wasn't the same. And since I came to Tethered, I work a lot more. It's it's all day <laughs> yeah. all night. Um, but every day feels like a Saturday. Yeah. It's like yeah. you write your own schedule and you're doing the stuff that you love so it's like every day is a Saturday. It's it's like you're on Christmas vacation all the time. Yeah.
5: My wife says you work so much more now now that you're with Tether than you did the cop and I just sit there and sip my coffee and smile and go, "I know." <laughs> Isn't it awesome? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's great. And the, the the inspiring thing to me is that, you know, Mark's a smart guy. He's really, really talented, but he's nothing special. Ernie's <laughs> – Ernie. Yeah, I, I, right. I think you're pretty special, <laughs> I, I, man. You're I, absolutely right. Yeah, that came out wrong. It, it, <laughs> that did, dude. I didn't mean it that way. He's a normal guy. Yeah, I've I hung out it. with Mark on a few occasions now. He's a normal dude. You're like a normal guy that I could meet in the woods and we could hunt together. Ernie, the
3: same way. You meet a lot of dudes in the woods? (laughs) Yeah. He's a normal (laughs) dude. I mean,
1: it's kind of inspiring to me that just normal people can, if they're willing to work hard enough, you can find your spot in your passion. And, again, that's why I wanted to talk to you about this specifically. So uh, to kind of move the story a little bit now, going from wired to hunt, to meat eater, which I know you're a big fan of, uh, or you openly talked about how you looked up to Steve, and yep. kind of, he was a guy that you wanted to emulate in the outdoor industry. I agree. I love, love the way he works. Um, People don't know this, but Val Power is in the room, Ernie's wife, and she would leave Ernie in a heartbeat for Steve Renella <laughs> oh, if yeah, he came to no call question. She yeah. loves him.
4: I yeah. could get you the phone number if you'd like. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: I mean, She's like, I just want to cook with him. Sorry, yeah. Right. Sure, yeah. Val. Whatever.
4: So, yeah, I mean. so what's that like
1: when when the guy that you kinda look up to gives you a call and says, Hey dude, you're awesome. Let's work together.
2: It's gotta be better than hey dude, I took your wife. <laughs> 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 that is freeing though. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
4: Um yeah, so great question, and, and yeah, another huge step in my career. Uh, it was – it came out of the blue. I was in a place with Wired Hunt that was it was doing really well. I was very happy with things. I was in my dream job. Um, I never expected to ever change what I was doing in a dramatic way, but I will tell you that in, like, 2017, somewhere around there, um, I started kind of feeling like I was plateauing in a way, and I'm always – every year I do some pretty um I put some time into thinking about my goals like my that year goal five year goals thinking about where am I trying to take this what am I doing in my life and you know every year there was a different um you know it was different steps and I've, I've said this before maybe you've heard me say this before but early on it was just you know can I make this can I can we survive doing wired to hunt and then I was able to do it and and now okay now we feel comfortable and it's not like a paycheck to paycheck thing we're actually okay and then it was can I build wired to hunt and like a one of the best whitetail media brands out there and I eventually got to the point where I thought okay we've like wired hunt is is doing good things I'm really happy with it but I started um, wanting to have a different kind of impact I guess I, I I'm I get a tremendous amount of joy and fulfillment helping people hunt and educating and that's great and it's a thing that I'm really fortunate to be able to do but I also wanted to see I don't I wanted to look back 20 years from now and and be able to say you know you made an impact like in a real real tangible way so I started thinking what how do I do that what are the things I need to do so um I decided to write a book so at the same time I decided I'm gonna write a book so that whole process started around the same time so I'm working beginning on this whole book idea which is examining public lands and advocating for these wild places that we have access to and the history of all that so i'm in the midst of that project and then right at the same time i get a phone call from steve basically telling uh telling me first he said what are you doing on the first week of september and uh i was like Well this is exciting because <laughs> uh, he's probably going to offer something interesting and it's steve <laughs> yeah right steve and i you know i had some interaction with steve but we never hunted together spent like that kind of time we had some beers and he'd given me some advice and we talked about things in the past, but, uh, but basically he invited me to a caribou hunt, and then he said, let's talk again tomorrow. So he calls me tomorrow after I said, I'll, oh, I'll clear my schedule. I was going to go deer hunt, but I'll, I'll come caribou, caribou hunting. And uh, then the next day he brings up what they're doing with me, basically taking this brand that was uh, a TV show and a podcast mm-hmm. that he had started and significantly expanding the mission and the resources around it to build essentially a network of, of, um, You know, folks within the hunting, fishing, uh, conservation, and culinary space, and and trying to do something really different, new, and impactful in this world, in this industry. And he wanted me to be part of that. And at first, it was just like the shock and awe of, geez, this person who, you know, is that of all the folks within, you know, our sphere, the person that I looked up to the most. Um, And probably the only, not probably, absolutely no one or no other entity could have came to me and offered like hey do you want to take your baby and make it a part of my thing no other any other thing within this industry could have came to me and and offered that and i would have said no this was the only situation i would have actually said yes to and and after a whole lot of thought it was another scary thing it was another very um different scary because right i built wired hunt as my own thing it was my baby it was like tethered And I never, ever, ever, ever would have thought I would want to essentially merge my baby into another thing. But I think that there is a, like a generational opportunity that we have. And maybe I don't want to, you know, like toot our own horn, but I think we have a unique opportunity to do something that makes a difference. And, um, and that's what Steve pitched me on. And I believed in Steve and what he's been able to achieve and and the f- the possibility that I could learn from him and work with him and, and be one of those people alongside of him that could make a difference in that kind of way, that was, um, that was very, very appealing to me, and decided to take that leap, and so that was the next big career change and move, and I did it, and so now Wired Hunt is a part of the meat eater sphere of, of influence, and we're doing a lot of cool, interesting new things now, and, and the book was published, and that's out there in the world, so a lot's kind of happened that's, that's uh, I don't know, I just kind of pinch myself I've been very lucky and fortunate it's, it's come together.
1: It's super awesome. That was actually my next question. It's a perfect segue into <clears throat> the, That Wild Country, the book that you wrote. So I'm, I'm about 25% into it. And I remember the story that you talked about uh, where you're in Yellowstone and you're camping and it's raining like crazy and you're not catching any fish. Yeah. <laughs> is the reason you went there and you're not catching them. But then I didn't know that the lightning shock is a thing. Oh, well, I didn't know about it either until, yeah. <laughs> until that So Yeah, you your, like, rod was, the the fishing rod was, like, a, you got shocked through it, through for electricity or something well, like that? Well, yeah, yeah, it's, what's it called? It's called a seeking
4: charge, I think is what the, the, the term is. But, yeah, I was out there fishing, and there was a storm coming in, and I was, it was stupid that I was out there and I wanted to keep fishing. We're in one of these most, like, one of the best places for right. cutthroat trout fishing in America, Mont Slough Creek. It's, like, you, you make pilgrimages to this place. And so I assumed we, we backpacked in there like eight nine ten miles something like that and it was gonna be lights out I figured, but I get out there and the stream's crystal clear it's absolutely beautiful I can see all these great big beautiful fish in there and nothing will take anything I throw out there at them, so it was unbelievably frustrating, but I kept thinking oh, I gotta I gotta keep going I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not catch fish I have to keep going so it starts raining and I keep fishing and it's raining a little more I'm like I don't I don't mind getting wet I want to catch fish, and then I remember I think I was I was. Uh, Changed out my fly or something, and I had my rod up, point in the air, and I remember I was feeding a line through, and then I heard this like, I'm like what the hell is that? Bzzz. And I put my rod down and listen, and it's gone. And I'm like hmm, and I pull the rod back up in the air, and I'm feeling, like what the hell's going on? And then, pop, and it was. It was a, like a preemptive, not you don't get the full charge, but it's the beginnings of like a lightning strike is what I, after doing some research and learning about this, I felt just the very beginning of that coming down through the rod. And uh, fortunately, I did not actually get struck by lightning. And it, yeah. was just, it was just enough to give you like, like if you were to touch uh, like a uh, electric fence, kind of pop, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just like, whoa, just kind of shook me.
1: And that was enough to say, all right, yeah. I'm going back and to the then tent.
4: And then I literally yeah. just ran back to our tent <laughs> and uh, dove in there and I'm like, "Hey, honey, uh, I almost got struck by lightning, I think." And <laughs> <Jeez>.
3: uh, <laughs> that could have gone poorly. It <laughs> could have <laughs> been a bad, it could have been a bad deal.
4: But uh, fortunately, I didn't. And then uh, the next day, I did catch a bunch of fish. So, yeah. It was cool.
1: That's good. That's good. So, the process of writing the book, I mean, yeah. What's that like? I mean, that's got to be intimidating to start writing a book. Yeah,
4: very. Um, It was one of those things that, uh, again, it was this thing that I I really decided the same. I talked about this goals, and each year I want to push myself. So I remember I was. it was the end of, I don't know, end of 2016 or end of 2015, somewhere in that ballpark. I remember I was driving up north to go uh, to our deer camp. And I was driving the car with my dad, and we were kind of talking about what's next, how are things going, where are you at, what's the next thing. And and this is when I started thinking, you know, I need to, I've always wanted to write a book, and I think maybe this is the year I just need to, I need to find a way to make it happen. Maybe, it, maybe, I'll, maybe I won't get a publishing deal, I have no idea how to do that. Maybe it'll be lousy. Maybe I'm no good at this. But I think just the process of pushing myself to try to do it, mm-hmm. I think just... Forcing myself to take on something of that scale. I mean, writing an article is one thing. Writing a 300-page, 100,000-word book is, is something totally, I mean, it's, it's not even comparable. So I knew that that would just be massively challenging. And I thought, even if it is not successful in any other kind of way, just taking on something like that and making it to the end would probably be worth it, just to have whatever that would do for me as a learning experience. So decided to do it. And... um and sorry I'm a little rough with my voice right now. Andy May kept me out too late, and Taylor Chamberlain kept me out too late. And <laughs> everyone, I was a uh, smart
1: one. I went to bed. <laughs> yeah, you
4: were smart, Greg. Well, yeah. that was, that was. So I spent a lot, it was like It was right back at the days when I was working on Wired Hunt while still at Google. It was I'm up at 3.30 or 4, and I'm writing for three hours, and then my son wakes up. I, I started writing the book right when my first son was born. So I've got a six-week-old or whatever, and I'm trying to wake up before he wakes up to Write and then I do the day job and I'm dadding and doing all that kind of stuff and then he goes down in the evening and it's like 7:30 or 8 and sorry Kylie my wife I'm like I gotta keep writing so then I go back and I keep on doing that and so for years basically that um, kind of lifestyle again and um,
1: man I never want to write a book <laughs> yeah it It's like that a lot too. of work
4: I mean it was it was it was crazy but at the same time it's it's like you are. Sitting at your computer, banging your head against a brick wall until blood lands on the screen, and then eventually the blood organizes itself into the most beautiful painting you ever saw in your life. And Mm. when it becomes that painting, it's the best feeling in the world. And that—that's what I love to do. That's cool. When it
2: comes together, when I practice that analogy or just come up with it, it because that's (laughs) pretty good.
5: It's
2: (laughs) graphic, but pretty good. Poetic, (laughs) violent, but engaging. Yeah, I
3: can't (laughs) wait to Uh, read some of your. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine if he practiced. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that was going, but, um, but I guess that's how it feels. I'll tell you the one thing that absolutely happened was what I hoped would happen in the beginning. I was forced to grow a ton. I yeah. was forced to take on a project that was very intimidating and had to do that eat the elephant deal just yeah, one yeah, bite yeah. at a time. Yep. That's the only way. Like Every day, I like it was very daunting. But just today, okay, I'm going to make progress today, some kind of progress. If it was a right. page, great. If it was 10 pages, great. If it was a paragraph, okay, but just make some progress, and I did that over and over, and I guess that's kind of the story how any of us do anything. Yeah, you and then you fi-
1: and then you finally get to the point where you've accomplished something, mm-hmm. and it's awesome, and so you've gone from Google to Wired to Hunt to Meat Eater, and, and you're a published author, and then you get this awesome opportunity to do the Back 40, which was, I watched every episode, that was a, that was a great series, but Thank then- you. You know what I'd probably say is the greatest achievement of your career a couple of years ago is when you discovered saddle hunting. Yeah, right? <laughs> you are
4: absolutely right. And yeah. this is this is probably tippy top of everything is being on the Tethered podcast. <laughs> now Sitting I know you're next lying. to Andy <laughs> May Taylor Chamberlain.
1: Yeah, so, but yeah. what was that transition like going from discovering saddles and and being ultra mobile? Because that wasn't any that wasn't a new idea. Being yeah. I mean, being ultra mobile and stuff you'd, you'd known about that forever. Yep. However, enter this piece of kit that allows you to reduce your weight and reduce your bulk and all that stuff and wasn't
2: it a, a Montana hunt was the first one you took the saddles yeah, it was out the to? first
4: time I took it on and I had been you know uh our friend we all know him, John Eberhardt was probably my first really great influence on how I hunt I you know i hunted my whole life but never had really figured it out until I read uh bow hunting pressured whitetails or no no precision bow hunting it yep. was the first Eberhart book I read I read that book and that was like the light switch moment for me And I was a totally different hunter after that. And um, so ever since reading that, I've been hearing about these saddle things. And then I started running the podcast, or even before that with the blog, I got to know John. And he was always talking about the saddles, talking about the saddles. I kind of wrote it off. Like, that just sounds weird. Um, Common. Yes. Tree stands are great. They work. The saddle sounds uncomfortable. It sounds unwieldy. I'm not handy. I don't know about all these ropes and straps. I'm sure I'll die. Um, (laughs) So I was quite skeptical for a long time. But he kept, you know... Every time I talked to him, he'd bring it up. And finally, I guess I don't know what year it was, 2017 or 20, it was 2018, um, he reached out again and said, hey, there's there's some new companies that are putting out saddles now that are, you know, much better than they used to be. Uh, you really need to check it out, especially this tethered company. And um, I finally said, you know, damn it, I'll just try it. And so was able to get my hands on a saddle. And first hunt, I, I got a saddle. Oh days before taking off for my yeah. first hunt of the year. It was a public land hunt in Montana, and uh, just a solo trip. And I, I got a saddle, and I went out behind the house, climbed up in a tree, sat up there, was like, okay, I guess this, is, this isn't this is too bad. All right, I can get used to this. And um, and then that was it, and I left. Drove out 24 hours straight to Montana and set up in my camper. Or no, I was like sleeping in the back of my truck. And this spot that I was hunting, it was um, – chunk of state land that runs way back to a river and then i follow a river all the way back to a piece of blm land and then get into there and it's like a mile and a half two miles to get to this little chunk but it, otherwise it's landlocked it's very hard to get to um but a sweet little section. is this
1: the hunt that andy you were on with them
4: no, no this no, is I'm a different Nebraska. one different a hunt. okay um and so yeah, in, in my prior life, I've been using, you know, lightweight hang-on tree stands, yeah. and i would taken stands on this kind of hunt in the past, and, you know, it's heavy. You've got the tree stand sticking out above your backpack, banging on things. You're trying to crawl through brush and different things, and the first thing I noticed was when I'm hiking in, hiking this two miles in, wading a river for three-quarters of that mile, it was just so much more comfortable. I was not having this thing crashed around the back of my backpack. It wasn't heavy. It was, um, you have to crawl through uh, Russian olive bushes. Yes. Like this it's like super, super thick. duper thick stuff. and You got to get down almost on your hands and knees in places to get through some of this. And that was a pain in the butt with a tree stand because I did this the year prior with a tree stand. This year, I didn't have that. So already before even getting set up, I was like, I like this. And then I get into this little opening where basically there's this river bend, and then there's this really thick Russian olive, and then there's a little opening in the middle of this nasty thicket. And that is essentially the the transition zone leading to a big food source. So I get to the tree. I start setting up my sticks, and I'm three sticks up, and I hear a noise, and I look, and there's like three bucks coming right at me. And I'm like, shit, I'm not even, like I don't have my tree stand up here. I'm just on the top of my sticks. And then these bucks are walking right by, and I realize, oh, I don't need my tree stand. I got it on me. (laughs) And literally, as the bucks were walking by, I just finished wrapping my tether around the tree, clipped in and leaned back, and I'm hunting. And that was like a light switch moment for me. Yeah. And the next day, you know, did it again. It was a smoother process. I got there a little bit earlier. I didn't have the deer walking by me while I was trying to set up. And each day I, I felt a little bit more comfortable. And on day four, I think I killed my first deer out of saddle. And it worked tremendously, and uh, that trip, several different things, whether it be the ease of getting set up, whether it be the comfort and the lightweight approach, whether it be what happened when I killed the buck that I did. The situation with that tree is that there wasn't a lot of cover on the tree, but there was one section of branches. And so what I did when deer were passing by that I wasn't trying to target is I was just leaned back into that cover. So I was using the cover and leaned back in one direction, which I could do in the saddle. Yeah. When I wanted to shoot, I could just swing away from that one section, and now I had the, the ability to draw back and move as I needed. I couldn't have done that necessarily with my old setup. And that, that opened my eyes to how beneficial this can be for your mobile hunts. And uh, from there on out, I've been using it more and more and more, and this year used it almost for, I don't know, almost – 85% of my hunts probably this year from a saddle. The only time I didn't hunt from a saddle was when I already had a tree stand that I had up for years that was
1: just in the spot I needed to be. Yeah, sure. Otherwise, I was running the saddle. That's and, cool. Um, I'm never going back. That's cool. Hmm. It's good that it that it helps. We hear that all the time. Like, hey, it's another – a golfer carries more than one club, right? You said the tree stand that's always in yep. the right spot. Mm-hmm. A golfer carries more than one club, so use it when it makes sense, and yeah. then if it doesn't use something else and Andy I know you were that way for a long way too you know you were you were kind of split uh so but then you had a little bit of an experience the last couple of years as you've jumped into more tethered products that so you've kind of transitioned even more into saddle hunting too exactly yeah I first it was like 2003
0: I think I first hunted out of a saddle it was the old trophy line and I saw the benefit in it um, but it was it was bulky it was uncomfortable um, and it weighed a lot and didn't to save a whole lot of uh, a weight from my hang-on stand. And then I used it kind of on and off, you know, over those years. And then when you guys came out with the Mantis, um, I picked one of those up, and the weight of it, uh, less bulky, and, and I found it much more comfortable than that saddle that I previously used. So I was ecstatic with the Mantis, um, and I used that. I got it, it was it was towards like the half uh, halfway point of last year, but I used it from there on and killed two deer out of it. And then this year um, came out with a new saddle, the Phantom, and I got to test a prototype, which I was just super happy to do. I felt very fortunate to do that. And uh that was a, a, a an interesting saddle because I I first got that in hand and I didn't like it as much as the mantis, but it didn't have all the features that we it wasn't the final product right, that we mm-hmm. first version turned it into. <laughs> yeah. And um <clears throat> And I, when I think about it, I just really just loved my mantis. And then, uh, Carl worked his magic and we talked about some of the issues I had with it. Cause I, I tend to be one of those guys that has a more difficult time finding comfort. Some guys don't find it easy. I don't. And, um, added some features to the phantom. And now that is hands down my favorite saddle. And this was the first year that I went 100% from day one to the last day of the season hunting out of the saddle, um, I killed four bucks wearing the saddle. One of them was on the ground wearing the saddle, which is one of my favorite. It's a benefit. It's one of my favorite things about the saddle is that I like to, I never know where I'm going to end up half the time. Sometimes I'm on the ground tucked in the cover and sometimes I'm five feet up, sometimes I'm 30 feet up. And I like being able to wear that system wherever I'm going. And if I decide to, you know, hunker up under a, some red brush or you know in a downfall or something and, and I think that's the spot to be. I can do that and I got the saddle on I don't have to stash a stand and sticks, I don't have to carry that with me. I can just hump from the ground, I get 30 feet up, 10 feet up and it's just all right there no bulk and I have found myself a couple times this year uh, or this year and last year, sometimes I'm, I'm in the saddle and I, I see a, a deer out and I need to move in close and I, I love that fact that i can stalk up on a deer wearing that yeah. wearing my climbing system if, you if, know
3: if you're hunting and it's the rut and maybe some big bucks got ran a doe into a little thicket and he's got her hold up in there and you're like it's it's now yes like i have four hours to kill that thing You down, that, go, that exact boom. thing
4: happened to me and I, I had moved 45 yards and i actually didn't even i, I had a tree stand set up that I was in but I thought, my, I, you know, I just thought I I might want to get shifty this afternoon. So I just stashed my saddle in the bottom of my pack. You can't do that with a tree stand. You can't stash a tree stand in your pack. You yeah. can't just in case.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's not going to happen. Nobody's so I, carrying that I around. I put
4: my saddle just in case, and I knew I had some sticks set up like, I don't know, 80 to 100 yards away. I had been in the saddle a few days earlier and left sticks up. So I thought, you know, if I want to get freaky with it later today, I could just slip down, grab those sticks, and I've got the saddle with me and shift. So I'm hunting that morning, and the buck I'm after all year shows up, locked on a doe, and he's like 50 yards behind me in this thicket. I'm too far out of range to get a shot at him. He follows a doe off into another bedding area onto a neighbor's property. They can't get him, but oftentimes, as you guys have seen, you get a buck that's locked on a doe, and that doe goes one direction. Many times she'll come back, later she'll circle back at a later point. So I need to be 45 yards or 30 yards closer to where they pass through. And then that's exactly what I did. Slipped down, grabbed my saddle, grabbed the sticks, came back, made the 35-yard move, set up another tree. He didn't come back. I didn't kill him. (laughs) But it was really nice to know that I I made the move that I probably wouldn't have made if I wasn't riding the saddle. And it was the right thing to do,
0: but it's so easy to be lazy or to say I don't have the gear to do it. And that's the key with the saddle that decision is easy. Mm-hmm. With a climber, it's like oh God, Yeah. You know, I gotta climb down. I gotta strap the top to the bottom. I gotta
1: do it quietly. I gotta you know? do it
0: quietly. I gotta hike over here with, you know, twenty two pounds on my mm-hmm. back, you know, trying to sneak up or move in on this deer. With the saddle, it's it's easy. And it's it's funny. I've
4: found when I have these conversations, to people that don't use saddles yet, they find us really annoying. <laughs> because I've found myself becoming like, I'm trying to convince my friends, but guys, but it's yeah. so
1: good. <laughs> yeah. Really, you have
4: to believe me. You're missing out. We're like CrossFitters. We're the cross fitters, crossfitters right? of yeah. and, and there's almost nothing else. I don't know if I can think of a single other product that I've ever used hunting where I actually authentically really am saying that stuff. And um, – like, I wouldn't be on this podcast if you guys were selling, like, the butt out or something like that. Hey, I love that, I love that thing. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised, only. I might be the only
3: guy in the world that actually, like, used one until it failed. Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> so there and you are. you like, huh? 800 outs. <laughs> but but, I, <laughs> oh, but oh, literal,
4: in all seriousness, I, I, it really is, like, a paradigm shift when it comes to how I hunt. And so I can't help but want to advocate for it. And so last night at dinner, I'm there sitting there trying to convince people again. And that is a really special thing that you guys have stumbled upon and the way you've been able to execute it. And and we're just fortunate now to benefit from it. And... uh so I don't feel like we're blowing smoke up anybody's ass. Like this no. is just the real thing. It will so
3: it. I'm I'm curious real quick. When when you picked up the Manus, did you get the uh platform also? Mm-hmm. Okay. So have you, Mark, ever hunted without the platform? I have. you ever tr- you've tried like yep. uh I have how'd that go?
4: I definitely prefer having the platform. Yeah. But you certainly can without it. For sure. Um, and I found I want I've done it by choice and I've done it by mistake. Um <laughs> One time I showed up the tree and forgot my platform, and it was for an all-day sit during the rut. And oh. we were filming it for Meteor's TV show. And I'm like, well, I just got to roll with it. And so I had an extra couple screw-in pegs that I threw in. But this is a horrible setup all around. So I was on, like, two screw-in pegs, and the tree was, like, leaning back significantly. And I had a cameraman on the other side. And I'm doing an all-day sit, and... I, it was just like I could never stand up comfortably to other readjust it either because of the way the angle was and there weren't the – we didn't have the Phantom yet. And so I couldn't adjust where the weight was coming off my hips, which is a thing that the comfort channels have helped a ton with. And that was the only time I've ever been uncomfortable in a saddle, and it was all my fault. <laughs> and you, that was probably an uncomfortable sit, wasn't yes, it? Yes, that was the one time. Yeah. But, but I haven't done other times where I just stood on the top of my climbing stick when I wanted to just – I was in a pinch. I just ran out there real quick
1: it's fine so back in the day before any of this before tethered was even a thing uh me and my brother took a trip to illinois and we were making diy platforms it wasn't an ernie's outdoors platform so for most people don't know that ernie had a little ernie's outdoors business before we launched tethered but it wasn't ernie's outdoors one because if it was it wouldn't have broken i'm sure it was one that i made but hunt one day one me and my brother we get one week off a year to go and shoot deer In another state we live in florida we're able to go and travel and and hunt hunt one day one i climb up to the top of this tree i'm in illinois big buck mecca i'm from the southeast we don't have big bucks and i climb the tree i'm so jacked i strap my platform the one i made at home i cam it over crank it down and snap i broke it first hunt so i ended up having to hunt the entire week off of the top of my two muddy sticks and it worked. It wasn't, I mean, I, I got a shot off at a big buck, so it, it, it worked, but it, it does make for an uncomfortable hunt if you have to spend a lot of time like that. I think the biggest thing for me was the platform
4: above all else really helps making the transition it from does. a tree stand hunter to it yep, absolutely stand saddle. It it absolutely it a absolutely does. It absolutely does. It's a common ground. It's that, that, that little piece of comfort. Yep. Yeah. And it does allow you to, if you need to readjust things, if you need to stand up, and just, it just gives you a new option. And that's a nice thing to have.
3: For sure. I think the shootability is, I mean, there are a billion uh, pros to it, but the shootability helps as well. Mm -hmm. But I I think that one of the major barriers into saddle hunting was what do I do with my feet. Like if you get somebody far enough down the pipeline of, you know, seeing the benefits, the features, and, and, you know, all the stuff that comes along with saddle hunting, you still are like, what do I do with my feet? And (laughs) and it, it was hard to find an option for the longest time. Well, we um, all had to make our own. I mean, Even before that, I mean, the, the Ameristeps were the best thing. They yeah, That was they it. Were, and they were recalled. That was like the only game in town. Ten years yeah. before. Yeah.
2: The Ameristeps you know. are still good if you're running, you know, a ring of steps. But, I mean, old sandcasted lone wolf tree stands were worth more than their weight in gold. Because that was the best piece of antiquated equipment that you could cut up and make a stand on. So you'd go and you'd pay $200 for this used tree stand and take a saw
1: to it i mean it was just like that that, but that's what was required that's what we were doing Mm -hmm. it was cool it was a lot of fun um mark we've kept you for over an hour hopefully (laughs) (laughs) or seven minutes (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) we've kept you for an hour but uh any final thoughts before we let every i know you got it somewhere to be too so we got to get out of here and mark you're busy so i don't want to take too much of your time but if we go maybe start with any final final thoughts before we conclude and then we'll get out of here yeah um if you're on the
0: fence about saddle hunting, this is the year to jump into it because I, take it from me, I was the guy that could not find comfort, and I am 100% comfortable in this new saddle, and it is the best that I've used, and, and I didn't think the manus would be beat, and it's beat.
3: Yeah, for sure. I, I for That's sure a ringing
1: endorsement from a straight-up killer. <laughs> no, I, th- I thought it was
3: funny. Andy was said, uh, you know, I hunted all season from it. I killed four bucks. Well, that took eight days for him. Yeah. <laughs> <Four> <laughs> <bucks>. He only <laughs> hunted three times. Yeah, well, and, exactly. and that doesn't count all the,
2: the animals he
1: killed on the ground. He only mentioned the saddle bucks. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. most just efficient, amazing. Uh, Sean Chadwick,
1: he has told me many times in conversations that, Andy is the most. He uses that term efficient. He said Andy is the most efficient killer in the country. Mm-hmm. He might be. I mean, based oh, on what I saw. We got to happen experience that firsthand this yeah, year. You might be,
5: you know, because we're all in communication through our our different, you know, Slack and all that stuff. And uh, well, for the guy that killed nothing <laughs> this year, I let the air out of nothing. <laughs> Your tires, <Yeah>. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Andy. Hey, I'm gonna go to Maryland for a weekend. You know, buddy's got a he's, he's got some deer out there. Forty eight hours He's in, later, he's in he Maryland for pictures. six hours. I get a picture of this just
3: toad. Yeah. And well and in, in the I've never started. hated somebody
5: from so far away. It's
3: <laughs> it's not an it's not an accident. I, mean, I know. it's like, okay, I'm going into this area that I found on the map. It looks promising. I've never been there before. Mm-hmm. And then hey, I saw a big one tonight, and tomorrow night I'm gonna kill him. And, and you know, he we, have, we have the same wind. Yeah. And no, I mean, to
4: be fair, he didn't. To be fair. It took him the I'm third be day before mm-hmm. he killed yeah, that Yeah, it was buck. Three.
5: Well, it's so not that good. Andy has said it before. <laughs> what a hack! <laughs> Andy has Three said days. it before on on, on a polo, I believe Marco Polo, where he he will not when he's got a target buck, he won't go in after that buck unless he considers a high probability hunt, like seventy five percent and above. And he flat out put his money where his mouth is this season. Oh, sure. crazy.
2: Remember, he had the the one buck. He's like, yeah, I got him on camera, but he's gonna move onto to this island yes. later in the season. So I'm gonna wait till he gets there, and he's either gonna be in bed A. Or bed B. And I'll hunt bed A, and if he's not there, I'll kill him the next day in bed B. And he did it. Sure as shit. <laughs> he, was he wasn't in
4: bed like A. How much do you hate this, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> I, know. Really uh, so okay. I know. It makes so, me really I know
3: it does. And that's the know other thing does. that's so cool about Andy is he's the most humble, yeah. like, like well, just – amazing guy though he's like no you guys are really the killers <laughs> no we're not man like, <laughs> no, we don't kill anything <laughs> so well, I don't. speak for yourself girl, I mean. <laughs> and yeah side note about that I didn't know the guy that was guiding us in Missouri has never actually put an arrow through something <laughs> he's like oh yeah go over to this spot this is a great spot <laughs> like for what man? <laughs> you can see and birds and squirrels yeah, there <laughs> yeah, tons of turkey it's size. funny because
5: yeah I wasn't really producing so to speak and the Missouri hunts coming up. And I'm like, guys, they're here. You know, they're here. This is what you can expect. You know, send them pictures of just whatever. You know, this, that's, that could be an average deer for here. And I think they all thought I was blowing smoke. And then they arrived. And I told my wife the night before, well, we, actually, Greg and Bobby were rolling into town because they were the first ones to get there. And I said, you wait till these guys get here. I said, the quality and caliber of hunters that are about to land in our backyard, something's going to die. A lot of something's are gonna die, and they did. They did. Well, we killed what yeah. five bucks out of five, seven hundred. Five bucks in a week. Yeah, yeah. we put it yeah. on, them. Put it so on that's, them.
2: So basically, we went down and showed Carl that you know bucks can be killed. <laughs> yeah, in <there>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I had a
5: blast. I was, I was playing. I was camp host and and guide and. And uh, I started a new business. Mark, you'd be proud of me. It's it's CRS, uh, Carl's Recovery Service. Nice. Yeah, so <laughs> nice. I, I go down and get your deer when you kill it on my e-bike and all that. <laughs> I well,
3: Carl's Chili Service was pretty good also. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. – I, I am a connoisseur of, <laughs> uh, yeah. of all things edibles. So. You know, and I thought I would
5: replenish that venison that was in that chili, but yeah. – And
2: the, the number <laughs> and quality of deer that was there, I mean – in order to get to the places we were at, we were taking these ramble bikes three and four miles from, you know, where you would park. And so we're truly seeing unpressured deer and lots of them. I mean, Carl could basically hunt in a petting zoo and not kill something with <laughs> after what I saw in Missouri. <laughs> this poor
0: guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, next year's your year, buddy.
5: Hey, uh, it's okay. You know, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm really content because, you know, I sat down in my basement and rolled out some Awesome stuff for people who are capable of killing. I was going to say, you (laughs) should get like royalties on all these kills. You get like a 10% of the achievement. Andy, I want 100 inches of the thousand that you got this year. Yeah, I know. If you look
1: at it that way, in in Mark's scenario, you're like the biggest killer in the country. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) There you go. go. Mark, any uh, closing thoughts for us before we let you go? I will just say uh, thanks for
4: having me. Thank you for producing a tool that really genuinely gets me excited and uh keep doing it keep keep innovating keep working on this because it is it is honestly one of the most innovative um products that's been brought to this market in a long time you're doing something that's helping a lot of folks out and that's
1: that's a powerful thing it's awesome It's a lot of fun keep it up we're having a lot of fun doing it thanks for listening um hopefully you guys learned something about this hopefully you you were inspired by mark's story i know i was I love hearing it. How you know, with enough work and grit and determination, you can do it. Um, so if you're thinking about following your passion, whether it's in hunting or writing a book—which I don't recommend—after listening to this podcast, <laughs> <Yeah>. but uh, <laughs> no matter what it is, if you're willing to put your your mind behind it and work hard, you can you can do it. So that's it. We'll let you go. We got to head back to the booth. We got a bunch of stuff going on at ATA. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time on the next Tethered Nation podcast.